Hello and welcome to another episode of the Marketing Meetup Podcast. My name is Joe Glover and I am exceptionally pleased that you are listening. Today you're going to hear from Rob Wilkes. He's from a company he founded called Creative Giant and in this talk he talks about Brand UX. Now that term might not be something you're familiar with but if you listen to the rest of the talk of course you'll find out more. The idea behind Brand UX at a very high level though is it's the strategy behind your strategy. In this talk, Rob managed to not only get the first Alan Partridge reference in the whole of the Marketing Meetup Norwich history, but he also discussed his why, his discovery process, and how he actually puts his clients at the center of his work through discovery and listening, rather than focusing on his portfolio. If you'd like more from the Marketing Meetup, head to themarketingmeetup.com or come to one of our events. Presently they're happening in Cambridge, Norwich and as of September 2018 we'll be in London and Bedford and then in October 2018 we're also adding Birmingham. I hope to see you at one soon. I know that Rob has put his heart and soul into this talk so I really hope you enjoy it. Take care and enjoy the talk. Hi everyone, so I'm Rob Wilkes and I'm here to talk to you tonight about my brand UX and my version of Giant Thinking. So I'm from Creative Giant, we're a Norwich-based design studio. We do strategy UX, brand and design, and we deliver that across touch points that are digital, social and print. Various clients that we have worked for in the past. A um, bit of a niche on food and drink, but also branded buildings and recruitment companies and various things along those lines. <laughs> One of the other things I'm quite is <laughs> <laughs> a campaign we did five years ago that brought the movie premiere for Alan Partridge Alpha Papa from Leicester Square to Anglia Square. And you can see me there next to Alan. <laughs> and officially we're on Getty Images, so that's quite a nice little claim. Um, that also, uh, it also featured on the front page of The Independent, and it was talking points on Newsnight and the world's media, so to speak, in my brain, that's what I like to think. <laughs> but they were there, so that was a good thing, right? Great. So I just want to do a little bit of a rewind, because I want to tell you a little bit about how I've got to the point that I'm at, and a little bit more about me. I was always... I'm a designer and I'm proud, and I was always a designer, and I'm proud about design, and I love all that stuff, right? 20 years in the industry. I started working at Fox Murphy. They were AdForce at the time. Now they're big dogs. Some of you guys might know them. I then went off to Australia, freelanced over there for a year or so. Came back, worked as an art director here. Went freelance, set up a creative giant in 2005, working direct with clients, partnering with other creatives, PRs, digital types, and a little bit of freelancing. Always, throughout this whole process, I was a designer's designer. So, I always, throughout that period, I always thought strategy as, as, as like a buzzword. Strategy was this thing that I kind of felt was something that other people did. Um, at college, we kind of called it like a concept, like the idea, what's going to happen, what are we going to do to solve these problems. And there's a famous scene, I guess you guys hopefully all know what Mad Men is, and it's the show set in New York, like 1960s, Madison Avenue. So Don Draper, the lead character, is probably not the most 
rememberable scene from that show, but there was a moment where he had somebody who <coughs> delivered him some research and some insights as to what they could use to inform their creative, and he just chucked it in the bin. Because he was a ideas man. It's like you can't mess with the creative, it's just the ideas. We don't need all that other shit. My opinion is everyone has ideas, but what are you going to do with them to make them special? So it's how you deliver those ideas and what you do to make them better. UX kind of felt to me, at that time, you know, where strategy was a buzzword, UX felt like a dark art. Like, what the hell do these guys get up to? It's like, it's like a hidden brother, right, an SEO. Like, what do they do? They're in a room, they just do their thing. <laughs> <coughs> so I was on this mission to learn more. I wanted to figure out what all this stuff was about. I, you know, I was maybe disillusioned with design. I wanted to make it work harder for me. Midlife crisis, do you know what I mean? I, I couldn't afford a Porsche. I don't even want a Porsche, and I'm pretty sure I couldn't fit in a Porsche. <laughs> um, but I wanted to change the way I was working, right? I knew that. I knew I needed to change. And I wanted to invest more in me so that I could do better for my clients and do better for their customers. So during this time where I was kind of looking at what I needed to do, I started looking at what other people do. You do a bit of research and figure out what people are up to, right? And it became apparent that lots of agencies, locally, nationally, whatever it might be, they all say, say the same thing. And I was, I was trying to differentiate what they actually do. And I was thinking, well, if I'm confused by this and I'm in the industry, well, how do clients make a decision? Like, what do clients buy? What do they choose? What are they doing to make decisions as to who they should work with and why they should even really care? So I wanted to offer a different way, right? So UX isn't just for digital. Obviously, you know, um, hopefully you guys know, everyone knows what UX is and it's the kind of user experience of what needs to happen to make better things happen in terms of that journey. But my opinion is what's the... I wanted to start using UX to inform design. Like, what's the benefit of just making something look nice, just to hope that the client's going to like it? And why would clients buy a certain thing? If you're just going to base it on aesthetic, then what problem are you solving, right? Are we achieving growth for customers? And are we connecting with end users? So I came to the conclusion that I was giving people the answer before I was asking them anything. So I was assuming that they wanted what I had to offer and I was selling them what I wanted to sell them, but that might not have been the best fit for them. But in my head, I was a designer's designer and design rules, right? But it's not really helping clients. So what if we start to really listen? And what if we listen to the extent that we're not actually waiting for our turn to talk? And you kind of know that you're really listening then when you not just jumping in. <coughs> and if we do that, we can discover what you actually need from a design agency and what you're trying to achieve. Luckily for me, my superpower is asking questions. Um, years and years and years ago, I used to drive my friends completely nuts asking questions, and it kind of got to the point where I felt a little bit rubbish about myself because I'd sort of upset them by wanting all this detail. Maybe I was a bit OCD, I don't know. But I kind of had this moment where I had a kind of empathy switch up and I started to figure out that if I was listening to maybe what they were saying, maybe the reason that they were upset about what 
I was blasting at them with questions might not have been the fact that I was asking questions, but it was more the state of mind that they might have been in. Maybe there's something else going on, like a personal thing, whatever it might be. <coughs> so if I was listening first, then maybe I'm asking questions that are more meaningful to them or I can help them in a better way. So what does your audience really want? So I kind of stuck this slide in because in a, another life, I DJ a little bit. And in the, the current format of that is the form of a human jukebox. So we do pubs, festivals, whatever it might be. And we put menus of music around and people will tweet, playlist five, track three. And it kind of dawned on me that the jukebox is almost like the original UX offering. Because you, you as a customer in a pub, back in the day when jukeboxes were in a pub, you can choose. Like, what do I want to hear right now? What's going to fit my mood? What's this night going to be like? What's the soundtrack to my evening? And the customer's got to choose that so that it's informed by them rather than a DJ trying to force what they want to play to somebody. So I've kind of come to this conclusion that being a designer is no longer enough. And I wanted to kill the designer. <laughs> That's a gun that we found on the beach, by the way, from an arcade machine. It's not a real gun. <laughs> <laughs> But essentially it's to allow the smarter design thinker to rise up because it's not about what the aesthetic looks like, it's all the reasons why it looks like a certain way. Obviously we all know who Steve Jobs is and I've pulled this quote, I seem to think it's a famous quote, whether you guys have seen it before or not, I don't know. But essentially he's starting with that experience that the customer has and working back to what fills that gap. So. I'd like to think that the iPad or the iPod or whatever it might be would not have been created if he hadn't thought in that way because he's thinking about users and what they need as opposed to, I've got a product, let me put it out there and force it on people and hope they buy it. So the, 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 the point that I'm getting there is that you, you need to be what people want, you need to be relevant and you need to be meaningful. So. I watched a documentary that some of you might have seen on Netflix a couple of months ago. Dr. Dre, Jimmy Iovine, they made Beats, the company, sold it for whatever they sold. Um, and it, it's this really intriguing thing, and it kind of got me thinking back, like I was kind of into hip-hop back in the day, and I was thinking, well, when NWA were a thing, they were like super relevant to their audience because they were coming from straight out of Compton, and the people in Compton were like, yeah, we get what you're saying. And then suddenly they made millions of dollars, pissed off up to the Hollywood Hills, no longer relevant. And it wasn't until Dre found Snoop that he was relevant again because he had a voice of, he was the voice of a generation, right? So he was relevant again. And then Snoop got rich and the same thing happened. And then he finds his new muse, if you like, Eminem, and the whole cycle starts again. The point is you have to be you have to be genuine and people have to believe that what you're saying is real. Even with Beats, when he set up Beats, this documentary talks about and Jimmy Iovine comes past Dre's big mansion somewhere that looks quite expensive. And um, he says, look, let's, make, let's do something. Let's set up a business. Let's make sneakers. Dre's like, I don't know shit about sneakers. I wear sneakers, <coughs> but I don't know how to make sneakers. He's like, okay, well, what about speakers? Yeah, I know about speakers. Let's do that. And then Beats becomes this thing they know and it's relevant and it's meaningful and it's genuine. So, <coughs> staying on that hip-hop tip, 
I was a bit of a fan back in the day. I attended my first gig as a 14 year old in 1988 at the UEA, watched Public Enemy, blew my mind. <laughs> <coughs> and the thing with rap is, like, obviously back then there was less, but now there's a lot of rappers, right? And they're all different, but rap is still one thing. Like any form of music is one certain style, right? But all of these rappers have a way of presenting themselves that's unique to them, so they're being genuine and it's relevant. They all have a message and a story to tell. They've got a mindset that's usually educational based or it's positive, etc., etc. They always keep it real, no fake in the funk, and they're pretty maverick. How does this all connect, right? Let's get on with it. Mm -hmm. <coughs> so, I guess what I'm saying is I've found why I want to do what I want to do more of. Some of you may be familiar with the guy, Simon Sinek. He's written a book called Start With Why. If you're not familiar with that, I'd suggest you read it. Maybe if you don't want to read a big book, check out his 18-minute YouTube TED Talk. It's a killer. <laughs> now, this isn't completely formed around what that why might be in terms of his uh, you know, circular diagram. But essentially, my why <coughs> is my superpower, right? I want to ask questions, and I want to ask them all the time. So basically, my why is asking why more. I want to be a rebel, and that, isn't, that doesn't mean like I want to go steal my parents' drink out of the cabinet and go get drunk in the park, but I want to challenge things, so I don't want to sit back and just be a, you know, a, a, a sort of order taker, so to speak. I want to help people in a way that's going to be benefit them. And then kind of that hip-hop thing, right? I've always been a bit of a champion of the underdog, and I work with lots of startups and artisan brands, and I'm quite passionate about doing that. So I feel like that's a, a good why, and I always want to keep it real, because I am who I am. I'm not rocking a suit up here. This is what I do. <coughs> so what the F is all this brand new X stuff you're talking about, right? So in my head, it's the strategy for your strategy. How are you going to figure that out? So it's a collaborative process that we can create space so that we can build foundations for smarter design. Essentially, that means that we can empathize with the users, thinking back to my friend, you know, don't want to annoy him, I want to hear him. We can define those needs, so we're identifying what they might need. We can challenge it, be a rebel. <coughs> we can build stuff that we can put out there to see how it starts to work. We can test it, and then we can loop all that stuff up, right? I mean, that's even like a little sampling hip-hop thing. <laughs> and you keep doing that until you figure out what it needs to be so it's the most meaningful thing, meaningful thing that it can be. And essentially what that results in is I'm not designing for my portfolio, I'm designing for my clients, customers, because that's who's going to buy what we're looking to sell. So how can you use all of this? I don't know if you guys have experienced some of these things in the past. There's a bit of a list there, but essentially you might have a bunch of stakeholders that have got, there's a common goal, but they might all have different ideas how they want to get there. <coughs> People might think, yeah, well, it's not really working, it looks nice, well, you know. You know, don't like that colour, boss doesn't like it, wife doesn't like it, whatever. Maybe the agency's not getting it, and, you know, we kind of like it, but obviously that results in endless revisions, lack of clarity, there's no direction, people are just running around thinking what are we going to do, 
might be stuck again. People probably get a little bit annoyed by it. And time is lost, which is a crucial thing. You're not going to market your product because you're messing around trying to figure all that stuff out. And you're wasting money. Why would you risk shooting in the dark? Unless you're a Jedi Knight. <laughs> <laughs> or falling in love with an idea before you've really tested it. So how this discovery process helps is it allows those stakeholders who might have different ideas as to how you're going to get to an end goal, you can align all of that, you can hear all those voices, you can figure out what they might be saying and you can listen to it. You can identify goals and purpose, you're pulling out those insights from stakeholders, you're pulling out insights from users that you might have talked to, maybe you've built personas, maybe you've interviewed real life people. It can highlight opportunities that you might have missed. Possibly, you know, the stakeholders might have a vision of what this goal might be, but possibly that's not the thing that they need to concentrate on right now, and you're pulling that out as a more important thing up here, like let's think about this, because actually that's going to help build growth as opposed to this thing that we thought was really important. Maybe it's not so much, so you can help to prioritise those things. Essentially, it helps to inform the direction, so aesthetically, if you're not looking at making something that looks nice, the stakeholders look nice, it's looking right for who it needs to look right for. <clears throat> and what that does is it accelerates that creative process, so you're not wasting time, you're not wasting money. Everybody's aligned so that you can get to a point where there's a roadmap that you can move forwards with, with clarity. So <clears throat> essentially what this does is it reduces Chinese whispers, right? So I don't know if, it's kind of a rhetorical question, but I don't know if you can guess what I put into Google to search for this image. But it was uh, energetic and fast. Now, if you want to reduce Chinese whispers, everybody needs to have a common understanding of what energetic and fast looks like. Now, for me, I felt that this was a good representation of that. It's Nike, it's running, it's energy, stuff like that. Other part of people might think it's fast food, delivery, juices, whatever. So the whole point of reducing Chinese whispers and gaining alignment through insights and, and design thinking is for everybody to be on the same page as to what energetic and fast feels like. So you can build something that when you put it out to the customers, that's the common feeling that they take from it. Which results in improving accuracy and being more meaningful. Like if you were to buy somebody a birthday present and you don't know anything about them, you might buy them something they've already got. But if you can understand what they need, the present more meaningful because they're going to be more grateful. So, <clears throat> what does this process look like in terms of work that we've done? I've recently worked with a, a new gin brand, and um, he came to me, he already had a bottle label design, but he was thinking, well, I don't know what the rest of the brand looks like. I don't know what we sound like, I don't know what the messaging's like. We need to build a website, I've got no idea what that needs to be like. I've got a photographer that I want to work with. He's in Copenhagen. How do we tell him what to do? Like he's got a brief his stylist. We don't know. So we went through this workshop discovery process, figured out a bunch of the attributes that he needed to pull out to be able to communicate what his culture was, who his users were, tone of voice, look and feel, and the benefit of what his product was for. And he wanted to create this you know, this, this brand that he wanted people to feel a certain way about was quite a luxurious, quite indulgent gym brand where it's quite high-end, not cheap gym. 
<coughs> so we built a bunch of mood boards that started to build off of those words so that we could put something to this photographer in Copenhagen so that I could almost brief him just via the net and via calls. But we were all on the same page, so we knew what uh, fast and energetic or you know, what that meant. And this is what that meant by indulgent, notoriety, etc., etc. So that's what this then translated to in terms of the photography. The messaging is coming through, it's very indulgent, it's like an unexpected feeling that he's creating. The photography here is like the dawn of a new gin, it's this luxurious setting, and it kind of started working. So the benefit of this is that we had total clarity throughout. The revisions were pretty minimal. There's a clear direction, everyone's communicating, you know, even though they were remote, everyone was on the same page. The team's happy, the client's happy, most importantly the customers were happy. It was a successful launch and the time was well used. Thank you very much. Ask me anything or you can come and chat to me later, <coughs> whichever you feel most comfortable with. Mm -hmm.